Amen. Thank you very much for praying for us, Yanni. Um, it is a joy to be back in the book of Acts um, with you again this evening. If you've stuck with us right from when we began, uh, September last year, actually, we began our series. Thank you for, thank you for sticking at it. Um, right, the way, right the way through the book, we have uh, seen time and time again the outworking of Jesus' call right at the beginning of the book, in chapter 1, verse 8, for his disciples to be his witnesses right to the ends of the earth. So as we, uh, with tonight's passage, press pause on our series uh, for a little while, it seems fitting that we are doing that in this chapter, chapter 14, which just continues to be all about that same thing, witnessing for Christ, evangelism, sharing the gospel. And so in this chapter, as we then today take up, continue to take up that call to be witnesses for Christ, sharing the good news, I think there is so much for us to learn here. So much that can direct us in our evangelism. There's so much here that can help us set our expectations rightly as we evangelize. And there is so much here in this chapter to encourage us in our evangelism. See, in our day and age, there is, continues to be much confusion and questions about what it is to witness for Christ, about evangelism. How should we do evangelism? What should it look like? A, a question, I think, on many people's lips, or perhaps not spoken, but inside, is there any point in doing evangelism? Given what we look at the world around us, increasing secularism, Attitudes, people abandoning any idea of God whatsoever. These kinds of questions and more are valid and important, aren't they? So with those questions and more in our minds, we're going to get into our passage here this evening and get thinking about this. What will it mean for us here at Great Vic together? What will it mean for us individually to take up this call that we have seen here in the book of Acts to continue to witness for Christ in our generation, in our city? And we begin, I think, by seeing that doing that will first and foremost mean speaking the good news of the gospel boldly and relevantly. We saw this already back at the start of chapter 13, and we see this again in the example of Paul and Barnabas here in chapter 14. Look at verse 1 where we begin this evening. What is the first thing that we are told that Paul and Barnabas do as they come to this new city, Iconium? They enter together into the Jewish synagogue and speak in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, admittedly, we aren't told explicitly here that they speak the gospel but that can be assumed, can't it, from the result that we see of them speaking. This is no Paul and Barnabas rocking up here and sharing their views on the latest football results or transfers. This is not them sharing how England were robbed in the first test of the ashes against Australia. No, this is Paul and Barnabas coming to the city and boldly speaking the good news of Jesus. And see there, they speak, don't they? Do you see those words? In such a way that a great number believe. We see a bold declaration of the good news. 
in a way that not only points people to Jesus, but I think shows them, it must be showing them how Jesus is deeply relevant to them where they are at. How his coming, his death and his resurrection genuinely matters to them. How they can change everything for them. I think seeing this example is so important in directing us today as we witness, as we evangelize. Because I think we can often be tempted to just think evangelism is is pure and simple about presenting the facts. The facts of our sin, uh, who Jesus is, how his coming, his death and his resurrection, we find forgiveness. And of course, we clearly do want to speak those facts. Those truths never change. But we also want to think about how we speak those truths. Verse 1 so that it will be true for us too, that we speak them in such a way that it really connects with those who we are speaking to. shows that this message is relevant, life-transforming for them. Now clearly, in this context, as Paul and Barnabas seemingly speak with larger crowds of people, they aren't able to speak into the lives and situations of everyone individually. But even in this case, they are presumably bearing in mind the very Greek nature of this city of Iconium as they present the gospel. They'll know that 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 will impact the way they are thinking. In fact, I think if you glance on with me to the event that happens in the next city that Paul and Barnabas go to in Lystra from verse 8 onwards, I think we see again a clear example of how Paul and Barnabas look to speak relevantly to those in front of them. Look there with me. In verses 8 to 10, we see Paul's miraculous healing of this man crippled from birth. As Luke, it seems, intentionally, from the similar details here, parallels this with the healing. Do you remember back in chapter 3, where Peter, likewise, healed the lame man? That endorses, doesn't it, Paul's ministry. He's taking up that same ministry of Peter. And then we see this fanatical response, don't we, seemingly to this miracle. seems... As as I was reading about this, because of an ancient local legend that seemed to say that once before, Zeus and Hermes, they'd visited uh, the local hill country nearby. These people now are convinced, well, Barnabas and Saul, they, they must be Zeus and Hermes come back again to visit. And what do we see Barnabas and Paul do in the face of this? Well, first, they correct them, don't they? Verse 15, they say, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. But then look how they go on. Into this specific situation, they then look to bring the good news to bear in a relevant way for these people in front of them. They say, we bring you good news, the gospel, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then continuing on, they say, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Do you see how directly and relevantly Paul and Barnabas speak to these people here in Lystra? 
Instead of like they had uh, to that synagogue full of Jews in chapter 13, going into a history of God's dealing with his people of Israel, here they speak to these non-Jews of turning from their vain, lifeless gods like Zeus, like Hermes, and instead turning to a living God. One who had in the past allowed people like themselves to walk in their own ways, but who even while doing that had been so good to them. They are connecting with those in front of them. And now they say this good news of Jesus has come to you as well. Now from what we read in verse 18, it doesn't seem that they completely understand this immediately. But how much more will they have understood what Paul and Barnabas have just said to them than if they had just gone into that Old Testament overview? The living God who made all things, who in his common grace has been so good to them, well, he is now bringing them life-changing good news through Jesus. And seeing this, I think if we are going to likewise witness effectively for Christ, like we've been called to, we have to follow Paul's and, Paul and Barnabas' example here and look to speak boldly, relevantly, engaging with people in front of us where they are at, speaking in such a way that they see the goodness of Jesus, they understand the grace of God, they can taste and see the lasting and unshakable peace and joy that is being held out to them personally too. Time and time again in this passage, we read of Barnabas and Paul speaking the gospel, don't we? Look with me. Verse 3, in Iconium, they speak boldly for the Lord. Verse 7 and verse 21, we read the same language, that they preach the gospel. First in Lystra, then in Derby. And then in verse 25, we read that they again spoke the word in Perga. On the map there, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Perga. In each place, the same primary goal when Paul and Barnabas get there. They want to speak the gospel boldly. But also in each place, front of the examples here, looking to do that relevantly in a way that connects with the specific audience, the specific culture that they are faced with in each of those cities. So how can you and I look to do the same? Keep speaking the gospel boldly, front and center in our lives, while also looking to do that in a way that connects with people around us. Well, as we said before, I think probably that means taking the time to genuinely listen to and engage with those who we know. Engage with our friends. Talk with our families and our colleagues. What is it that they are searching for in their lives? What is it that, that gets them down? What is it that gets them excited? And how can we then look to show how the good news of the gospel, how Jesus is relevant to them in that? It could be that the people around us, they are searching for identity. 
In that case, just think of the rock-solid identity that we find in the Lord Jesus. It could be that those we speak with, they, they give an idea, well, they're just generally down about the state of the world. Well, again, in that case, just think how the Bible speaks into that, recognizes that truth, gives us reason for that truth, the fallen nature of the world, but also gives us hope, hope in the midst of despair. We want to speak the gospel in such a way that those to those around us, that they see it for the good news that it is. That the Spirit then opening their eyes, they, they then will, in like in verse 1, come to believe. Believe themselves in the Lord. Acts 14 directs us, doesn't it, in what evangelism is all about. It is about speaking the gospel boldly. Let's pray for opportunities to do that in the coming weeks, the coming months, the coming years. Let's not let opportunities to do that pass by, but then let's also look to do that effectively. Perhaps beginning even this week by doing the pure and simple thing of just going and talking to somebody. Talk to somebody at your work. Talk to somebody at home. Listen to them. And then pray. Pray and look for opportunities How can I speak the good news of Jesus into their situations, into their hopes, their fears, their anxieties, their dreams? So that's the first thing I think Acts 14 teaches us, that to be faithful witnesses to Christ, we need to be ready to speak the gospel boldly and relevantly. This is the second thing then, that we need to remember that as we speak the gospel, the gospel will divide And this second thing that we see primarily in verses 1 to 4, but we also see right throughout our passage. And I think this, rather than directing us in our evangelism, more just sets our expectations correctly. Look at verses 1 to 4 with me again. First of all, in verse 1, we read, as we said, that, that as Paul and Barnabas speak the gospel boldly, a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But then immediately we're contrasted in verse 2 with the fact that the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And this continues to be the case. Look at how verse 4 summarizes it. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. That is Paul and Barnabas who had been sent as apostles to take the good news from that church in Antioch. And these verses seen together, and as we see this continuing pattern throughout the rest of this chapter, show us this reality. And this reality continues today, that as we do speak the gospel boldly, relevantly, many will believe. And many will also not believe. Seeing the first of those then, that as the gospel is spoken, many will believe, I think that has to encourage us this evening. It reminds us that the gospel that we are speaking, it really is powerful to save. Do you see how in verse 1, both Jews and Greeks come to faith? This is gospel for all. And this is what we've seen right the way through the book of Acts, isn't it? People hearing the gospel and believing. People coming to faith in Christ. And this continued 
gospel progress is summarized, I think, if you jump with me to verses 21 to 23. Because there we read of the many more disciples, first of all, made in Derby. And then we read of Paul and Barnabas returning to those who are now believers in Lystra and Iconium and Pisidian Antioch. See, as Paul and Barnabas have gone out, do you remember that map there? They have declared the gospel everywhere they've gone and everywhere people have believed. And I think more than ever, here in Northern Ireland, we need to remember this truth. The gospel message of Jesus Christ still really does have power to save, to transform lives, to change them completely, to speak hope. In fact, as it is spoken, it will do all of those things. I think we can begin to feel almost with the shifting culture, as we said at the start, away from Christian things. Whether we dare say it or not, out loud, what is the point? What's the the point? Nobody seems to be interested anyway. People seem so far from God. Well, here in Acts 14, we see people who likewise, probably at this time, They had no interest in the true living God. Do we see them worshipping gods like Zeus and Hermes? And yet, what do we see? Right the way through this chapter, people in their droves, turning to the living God, coming to Christ for themselves. And I think this should just really encourage us, should embolden us again this evening. Remember, it is never us anyway. It is all God's work, as we'll see as as we close. And he, by his spirit, has the power to change people's lives in an instant, to open blind eyes. He can transform even that most hardened, unrepentant sinner into someone who, seeing their sin, is broken and runs to Christ themselves, runs to him for forgiveness. Do you Have faith to believe God can and will continue this same work today. I think in reality, our answer to that often might be a silent no, or, well, I'm not sure. Well, let's, into that, speak the encouragement of Acts chapter 14 to remind us the answer is really yes. Yes, God can and will continue to bring change into people's life, bring people to faith in Jesus. He is continuing to build his church today, just as he was back in what we read here in Acts 14. But then, of course, as we've said, we also see the opposite side of that truth, too, in these verses, that while many will believe, many will also not believe. Now, at first glance, that reality could kind of do the opposite of what we were just thinking about. It could, rather than encouraging us, like we were just thinking, well, it could discourage us. It could make us say, well, what is the point then? But actually, in reality, I think by God setting our expectations rightly in evangelism, by presenting us with chapters like this, I think, again, there is actually continued encouragement for us here encouragement to continue sharing the good news. Why do I say that? Well, because first, seeing this reality reminds us not to give up when we do see people who reject the good news of Jesus. That is what is to be expected. 
in the world around us. Do you remember how Jesus himself spoke about people's response to the word of God in the parable of the sower? Again, I don't think numbers is the point there, but if you take it pure and simple, it looks like 75% of those people there hearing the word, they do not respond. They bear no fruit. This truth, I think, should encourage us not to, to see unbelief as a failure, but instead as something to be expected. And then second, seeing this truth here in these verses, how even a gifted preacher of Paul, just like, just imagine Paul here. What more gifted preacher is there? If a gifted preacher like Paul is not capable of, in an instant, snap of his fingers, bringing people to Christ, that reminds us that all we are called to do is, like Paul, in whatever way we can, share Christ faithfully with those around us. In whatever way we can. And beyond that, we can entrust the results to the Lord. The Lord, our God, he is the only one who by his spirit can ever open blind eyes, bring people to faith. And so we, each of us, we should be encouraged to press on. Press on, knowing the gospel will divide, but remembering that. Let's let that truth encourage us, spur us on. And this reality that the gospel will divide then leads us on to another thing. I think then that we learn about mission, about evangelism here in this chapter. That as we evangelize, as we witness for Christ, we should do that expecting significant opposition. See, not only does Acts 14 show us that many will not believe, even when faithfully presented with Christ. It also shows us that often we should expect genuine hostility in the face of what we are preaching and speaking about. Look at verse 2 there. Already there we see unbelieving Jews stirring up the Gentiles, poisoning their minds, we read against Paul and Barnabas. But then also look at how it continues on to verse 5, because there we read that an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat Paul and Barnabas, to stone them. Now in verse 6, we we read that they learn of this. They choose to flee, knowing that there are other cities to go on to preach to. But then we read that these same people, again, verse 19 now, these same people, Well, they eventually catch up with Paul and Barnabas. They stone Paul, don't they? And they drag him out of the city, leaving him there, seemingly dead. Of course, this kind of opposition should come as no surprise to us when we remember again what is happening in this chapter, what is really happening underneath the pages. As we spoke about it before in chapter 13 when we came across this man, Bar-Jesus. Do you remember? He opposed Paul's ministry. Well, we continue to see here the same thing that we saw there. We saw there the gospel going forth and breaking new ground. Crossing over. Do you remember we said crossing over enemy lines? Crossing over into the devil's territory where the light of Christ in these places has never shone before. And as a result, what do we see here in this chapter other than the devil, once again, through these Jews, in whatever way he can, 
looking to fight back. He's unwilling to lose ground without a fight, isn't he? And once again, I think seeing this and recognizing this is really important for us today too. We need to recognize that today, as we evangelize, we are still involved in the very same spiritual warfare that Paul and Barnabas were engaging into. That is what, we are, what is happening as we evangelize. In sharing Christ, we too are looking to shine his light into places where otherwise the devil happily dwells. And so if we are going to do that, and do that faithfully, we should not expect an easy ride. Seeing this once again reminds us, doesn't it, that we should expect to come up against difficulty and opposition when we are faithfully presenting Christ. In fact, in a very hostile reaction, we often see their truth and the reality that the gospel has been faithfully presented as the devil does look to fight back against it. So in facing opposition, we don't lose heart, but we continue to look to the Lord in it all. And of course, just as it, it must have been an encouragement, wasn't it, for Paul and Barnabas to have each other in the midst of all of this. So we today too, we have each other, don't we? Here in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, who when we are going through these kinds of times, we can turn to, speak with, ask for prayer. Let's remember, we are, as Christians, together in this battle, just as Paul and Barnabas were together then. I wonder how you could pray for and encourage someone, even in their evangelism this evening. We know the devil would love to discourage us. He will oppose us as we take the gospel out. Let's in a real way continue to share our lives with each other as we evangelize. Sharing the hard things, encouraging each other, and spurring each other on. And in that way too, I think we can together seek the Lord's guidance as we do face opposition. Just look again at our passage. We see in verse 3 that facing opposition, Paul and Barnabas, first of all, purposely stay. Do you see, they almost see that as reason to stay. Verse 2, these unbelieving Jews are stirring people up. Verse 3, we read that little word, so they remained. So they remained. But then we also see in verse 6, that after hearing this threat of stoning, they choose then to flee to Lystra and to Derby to preach the gospel there too. And I think all of this shows us, doesn't it, that there isn't a right response, a cookie-cutter response to opposition. Something we say, this is what you should do. Sometimes it will mean just pressing on. But at other times it may well be wise to move on. Given that, we can continue to be real with each other, sharing the situation, asking for other people's guidance and wisdom. And of course, above all in that, we look to the Lord, don't we? We come to him in prayer and ask him, how should we respond to that neighbor who just continues to fight against us, to our colleague who continues to sneer at us? And that, I think, is 
The biggest thing I think we need to remember in, in all of this too, in turning to the Lord, because in the opposition we face, we need to remember and know that the Lord is above all of that. We see that, don't we, I think, in the Lord's implied leading in verses 3 and 6. And then we see that even more clearly if, we look with you, if you look with me at verse 20. In verse 19, we see that Paul there has been stoned. Eventually, these people have caught up with him, and they have dragged him out of the city, and they have left him for dead. Is that the end for Paul? Well, only if God has ordained that to be the case, right? And we read in verse 20 that he absolutely hasn't. Seemingly, one day in prison in Rome, Paul will die for the sake of the gospel, but that day is not yet. God has more work for him to do before that day. So in verse 20, we read that when the disciples gathered about him, Paul rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, what does he do? He goes on with Barnabas to Derby, and there they preach the gospel again. All of this reminds us that even in the midst of opposition, we can remember that nothing that comes our way is outside of the control of our God. And that nothing is impossible for him. He can overcome even the most desperate situation we find ourselves in, if that is his will. Our passage again this evening encouragingly reminds us that while many enemies might come against us as God's people, he is ready and able to protect us. Let's pray that he will continue to do that for us here at Great Vic as we look to continue to shine the light of Christ, to hold out the hope of Jesus here in Belfast. Now, before we get on to our final encouragement, then from verses 24 onwards, here then is one other aspect, I think, of evangelism that our passage directs us towards, that often I think we might overlook. And that is that what we see in the example of Paul and Barnabas in verses 21 and 23, as they look to go back to the various cities there they've already visited. And what do they do? They teach and disciple those who have believed. In some ways, I think these verses are a surprise, aren't they? They were almost a surprise to me. I bumped up against them as I was thinking about this this past week. We expect, don't we, to see Paul and Barnabas continuing on in the spread of the gospel, further and further afield. That's what's been happening up to these verses. But no, instead of going on, we see them going back. Though they do later go on to Perga in verse 21. Look at verse 21, verse 26, sorry. Look at verse 21 with me. We read that when they had preached the gospel in Derby and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. And they returned then to Iconium. And they returned then to Antioch. First, given the opposition they just faced, this is a courageous move, isn't it? to go back to the places that they've just been stoned and chased out of. But I'm so glad that these verses are here in this chapter because I think they also teach us something really, really crucial. That Paul and Barnabas recognize that as part of evangelism, 
of witnessing to Jesus, we then also need to continue to disciple those who have come to faith. In verse 22, we read these incredible words, don't we? That in each of these cities, they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Evangelism and making disciples should never stop at bringing people to faith in Christ. No, it is much more than that. It is then a lifetime of continuing to strengthen, to disciple, to encourage those in Christ. That's what Paul and Barnabas do here, isn't it? We don't have recorded what it is exactly that they say in verse 22. But as I was thinking about this, in many ways, is this not what we read as we look at Paul's letters in the New Testament? Do we not see in Paul's letters the same thing that we see here? Paul looking to strengthen the souls of those he's writing to, looking to encourage them to continue on in the faith. Just think with me of words like those in Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 to 14, that remind us that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If we sit in those words, we will be strengthened. Or words like in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that remind us that the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why look anywhere else? Continue on in the faith. We have all that we need in Jesus. And of course, words like we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says that he is sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Press on in the faith. We all need strengthening and encouragement, don't we, as Christians? And I'm so thankful for this example, verses 22 and 23 here, because we see Paul and Barnabas prioritizing that. They don't just leave the believers to fend for themselves, but they go back. They preach these kind of gospel truths to the people. So as we look to evangelize here in the city center, as we look to talk with people about Jesus, we need to remember this. That goes beyond sharing Christ, but then bringing them into the believers, the body of Christ, and sharing the truth with them. When we ourselves can take comfort with this too, can't we? As we said, while we don't have Paul's and Barnabas' teaching here in 22 and 23, we have this whole book, don't we? Just think of those examples and how much more is in this. We have this whole book available to us to read God's word, strengthening us, encouraging us to press on. Because as the end of verse 22 makes clear, and as Paul and Barnabas are well aware of by this point, the Christian life is not an easy one. Look what they say there. They teach the people that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. In this way, again, a bit like our chapter as a whole has been doing this evening, Paul and Barnabas are preparing these people for what they will face. They are setting right expectations 
so that in hardship, in discouragement, in suffering, they do not give up, but they press on to the finish line. And in that way, I think verse 23 is also a recognition of this reality if you look there. Because Paul and Barnabas don't just settle at a few more days, a few more weeks, a few more months spent with these Christians, strengthening, encouraging them, before then leaving them to fend for themselves. No, see, in verse 23, we see that they then entrust these believers to the church and ultimately to the Lord. First, in verse 23, and notice the wording here, they appoint elders for them in every church. I'd love to spend longer here, but just look at the crucial role of the church here in these chapters. Do you remember back in chapter 13, it was the church in Antioch that first sent Paul and Barnabas out to these cities. And now here in chapter 14, we see the church once again. Now in each of these cities, welcoming people in and taking on the responsibility of care for those who are believers, those who have come to faith as a result of Paul and Barnabas' journey. And of course, the same continues to be true today. It is here, together at church, where as those who have come to faith in Christ, we can then continue to help and encourage each other, praising God together like we have this evening, reading from God's word and being shepherded being cared for by a group of appointed elders. But of course, more than that, there is also a greater shepherd who Paul and Barnabas also turn to in verse 23, don't they? Turn to prayer. They turn to the Lord. Look at those words there in 23. It says, With prayer and fasting, they committed these believers to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas recognize, don't they? Do you know the perseverance of this, these Christians right to the end? That isn't on me. That isn't with us. No, they are in much safer hands than that. Much safer hands than Paul and Barnabas. They are in the Lord's hands. And so what do they do? They seek his provision, his protection for them as they press on. And all of this... I think draws us to the final truth that I think should encourage us this evening, should encourage us as we press on in sharing Christ, in making disciples. The truth that we can remember and trust that as we do all of that, it is the Lord's work that we are doing. And the Lord is at work. This is what the book of Acts has been reminding us right from the very beginning, hasn't it, if you've been with us. It's a book that we read there in the first verse is, that records the continuation from Luke's gospel of all that Jesus continued to do and teach by his Spirit through his people. And we've seen time and time again, haven't we, that no opposition will stand in the way of our Lord. No opposition of any kind will stop God's unstoppable gospel train from steaming ahead. Because it is God who is in the driver's seat. It is God who is himself driving it forward. Nothing and no one will stand against him. And we see this truth right at the end of our passage this evening. 
which is so fitting as we do come towards a break in our series. Just look with me at verses 24 and 24 onwards. There we read that Paul and Barnabas pass through Pisidia and Pamphylia. They speak the word in Perga, and eventually they set sail back to Antioch, the church that initially sent them out. And in verse 27, we read these words, that when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. I don't know about you, but I find those verses just so encouraging as we think about evangelism. Our continued call to be witnesses for Christ. Paul and Barnabas, they have seemingly been the major players in chapter, chapters 13 and 14. We've read their names time and time again. And yet in behind it all, who has really been at work? God. It's God who has used Paul and Barnabas. It is God who has opened the door of faith for these Gentiles. It is God who has changed people's lives in Derby, in Lystra, in Iconium, in Antioch, in Perga. And you know what? It is still the same God who is today changing people's lives right here in Belfast too. It is God who continues now to use us. It is God who continues to open doors of faith. It is God who continues to open blind eyes. And so remembering that, as we go forth from here into the world, we go knowing God will continue his work. He will continue his work of building his church, as he has promised, right to the end's of the earth. And when we think of it like that, how exciting that we here at Great Vic, we here in Belfast, get to be just a little part in that plan as God's gospel continues to go out. Let's pray as we close. Lord God, we do Thank you so much for the good news that we have in the Lord Jesus. Lord, who would we be apart from Christ? We thank you so much for bringing us to him. We thank you so much for his work for us. And Lord, we thank you that now you have given us that privilege of being a part of your ongoing work. As Acts continues, we see that. And as Acts finishes, we continue to see that even today. Lord, would you please use us powerfully to be faithful witnesses for you here in our city, in our workplaces, in our homes, wherever you will have us this week, wherever you will place us in the months and years ahead. Lord, would you help us to be faithful in speaking the gospel speaking of Christ to those around us. And Lord, we ask that there would be much fruit from that. Lord, we, we claim what we see here in this passage, that as the gospel goes out, many will believe. Would we see that happening here amongst us, Lord? Would in the coming years, you encourage us with seeing many people come to the Lord Jesus for themselves? 
And Lord, even as we face opposition, even as we face people who do turn their backs on Christ, Lord, would you help us not to be discouraged, but to press on, knowing that your will will be done. And we can trust you. Use us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to uh, stand and sing again as we, uh, as we close. And these are the words that say, go forth and tell. That's the ringing, uh, what we hear right the way through Acts, isn't it? Go forth and tell. O church of God, awake God's saving news to all the nations take. What a joy that we can be a part of that work. Let's stand as we respond and sing. shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace through the Lord Jesus. Amen.